All right. Well, good evening, everyone. How you doing? Uh, so I, I have a building update for y'all, which is we still don't know, but we got a 15-day uh, a extension, which is good. Yeah, so really, uh, we won't really, we have another two weeks to wait. So, uh, you know, this is my first real, uh, real uh, dabble in commercial real estate business, and it's frustrating. So, uh, anyways, uh, money's coming in great. Uh, if you can, uh, we still have um, some to raise, but we're really not worried about that. Uh, it's, uh, it's parking still. So, we have a little bit more time, and uh, it's navigating things with the city and permits and, and trying to get multi-year parking agreements, which is difficult. And so, uh, it's still uh, it's still grinding. So that's all I got. I wish I had more for you, um, but we'll probably have a next update in a couple weeks. So let's pray. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, let's uh, let's pray, and then we'll uh, we'll get into the the Bible. So Holy Spirit, we we welcome you. Thank you that you're in the temple, but you're continuing to fill the temple. And we give you permission to do whatever you want and to come as God and to glorify Jesus, to make him known tonight, to make him seen tonight. We thank you for your presence. Thank you for your peace. We thank you that you're here. We honor you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your glory that you share with us. We behold you tonight. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to John chapter 16. Feel the presence of God in this place. I want to talk to you tonight about the Holy Spirit. And I believe that the Lord wants to draw us into a, a deeper honor with the person, the third person of the Trinity, who is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit in John 16. I'm going to start in verse 5 and read through verse 14. It says, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world's been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, 
He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. I want us to key in on verse 14. It says, he will glorify me. So the role of the Holy Spirit primarily, I believe, is to glorify Jesus. It's actually to come and make Jesus known. It says he's the spirit of conviction and he will convict the world concerning righteousness because we no longer see Jesus. Jesus is the righteous one of heaven, the righteous son of God. And the Holy Spirit will come to convict the world so that as we see Jesus, he will make Jesus visible so that we will see him and come to a conviction of who he is as the righteousness of God. But if we were to look at like a, an American law system, you know, someone is convicted after all the facts, all the information, all the evidence is actually manifest, right? It's actually disclosed and brought forth. And it's at that point that conviction enters, right? A, a decision is made based on what has been seen, right? And the Holy Spirit is this precious, the most precious servant. He comes and his role is, I want you to see Jesus, and Jesus says, it's better that I go away, because Jesus is one man, but he's going to go away and send the Spirit to the whole church so that everyone can see me just as I am. And so the Holy Spirit is the gift, the counselor, the paraclete, the advocate, the comforter, the leader of the church, because he makes the unseen Jesus seen when he manifests the glory of God in the midst of his people. Right, so the spirit, the spirit of holiness, the Holy Spirit, he, he, is, he is a presence. He is a person that manifests in our lives. Right? He, he, he's actually working in our midst and he moves upon human beings and he brings conviction. Uh, you know, it says he also convicts the world concerning sin and you know, sometimes you can say, well, do I need someone to convict me of sin? Like, I'm pretty sure I know what I'm doing, right? Uh, I think that's true a lot of the times. We, you know, I have blank. I struggle with blank. I do this when it's behavioral. But the Holy Spirit actually comes and, and brings counsel and actually will convict us of the subconscious motivations, of the pride, of the shame, of the fear, the things that we can't even see. Because he has a propensity to come and make things manifest, to actually make what is hidden and unseen and can kind of remain compartmentalized in the, in the shadow. He, can, he shines light and actually brings it into the forefront where we can actually deal with things. It makes sense. He is the spirit of conviction. He makes Jesus manifest. He also manifests. He actually makes known what's in man as well, man and woman. And so we've been given this Holy Spirit to express Jesus to the church, and he's done this. Uh, he's done this all throughout the scripture. He's done this all throughout church history. Uh, I'm just going to take a little bit of a journey here. 
um, because I believe the Lord's actually wanting us to come, like I said, into a deeper place of honor the Holy Spirit. And I believe that there's that we've actually grieved the Holy Spirit in many ways. We've actually judged and dishonored the Holy Spirit in many ways. And I believe that tonight is a night of repentance, and it's a night to come back into alignment and honor the Holy Spirit as God. Right? We act as if sometimes he's a holy suggestion. No, he is God. He is the third member of the Trinity who eternally dwells in the abode of heaven. He is God. In the church, we must honor and cherish every move, every nuance of his essence if we are to be the bride of Christ. And so at Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit comes and he manifests. He manifests on a man that had been very hidden for a long time. Nobody really knew who Jesus was. Nobody thought that much of him, probably other than his parents and maybe close people connected to him. But he was very hidden. It was not evident when you looked at Jesus that he was some, you know, the halo around his head. That didn't exist. Right? He was a carpenter's kid. But as the Spirit of God manifested upon Christ Jesus, all of a sudden, the prophet John was full of conviction that this is the Son of God. He revealed Jesus to Israel. We fast forward to the the day the Holy Spirit uh, makes himself known to the church. In the upper room, there's 120. And the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, manifest upon these disciples, and it says that tongues of fire fall, they begin speaking in tongues, and it's the birthday of the church, and uh, we see uh, something very uh, interesting, maybe to some of us, but it's a, a, a sign that seems to follow every place that the Holy Spirit manifests from this point forward is that controversy surrounds the manifest presence of God as he reveals himself to his church. And people start saying, those people are drunk. So some people argue, they say this, they say, yeah, they, they thought they were drunk because they're speaking in other languages, and that's weird. Right, so does anybody in here, do you speak in another language, like Spanish, French, anybody? Raise your hand, like fluently. Can you uh, stand up and give praise to God, like say something like, Jesus, we honor you and we worship you loud enough so that we can all hear? Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. So who experienced her as being drunk? Anybody? Right. I think that makes my point. No, no. They were not drunk experiences being drunk because they're speaking in different languages. Yeah, that's different. They were being criticized that you're being drunk because they were acting like they were drunk. Okay, we know what drunk people act like. They don't just speak in other languages. You're like, that's kind of cool. You're foreign, like that flair. (laughs) They were being persecuted and criticized because they looked drunk. Right? And... Peter strikes me as the type that he'd probably been drunk before, so <laughs> forgive me, St. Peter, if I've said something wrong, <laughs> right, but, uh, you know, they did show up at the wedding and the wine ran out, so. <laughs> Controversy surrounds the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You look like you're drunk, 
right? And controversy has continued to follow the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, right? Because the Holy Spirit did not stop at Pentecost. He has continued to move in ways that perhaps surprise us. Right, If I am one of those disciples in the upper room, the last thing that I would be expecting would be God to move in such a way that I'm acting like I'm drunk. <laughs> and yet that's what God did. Right, So we do not get to say what God can do and what God can't do. He's just God. Right, And, and uh, God, if you, you know, I'm just going to focus on American revival history here. If we look at First Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening, the Holy Spirit has continued moving in ways that are uncomfortable. Right? In the 1800s, uh, in the 18th century rather, in, uh, in the First Great Awakening, uh, there was a manifestation that got entitled The Holy Jerks. I don't know if anyone's heard this. There's a Cane Ridge revival in Kentucky. Uh, it spread to the University of Georgia in 1800. were expelled, and college kids and uh, a lot of poor people in the Midwest. Farmers were experiencing what they called the Holy Jerks, which was they would begin jerking so strong and violently that until they repented of their sin and accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their life, that's when the jerks would go away. Literally, there's accounts of, like, alcoholics coming, making fun of it. Then they start jerking, and then they start trying to run away, and they can't get away from the tent, and they give their life to Jesus. So, you know, uh, uncomfortable, right? There are uh, well-documented accounts of shaking, of convulsions, of trans-like experiences where people would be out for hours, if not days, in an unconscious-like state. Many would testify that they saw heaven, they saw hell, radically saved, right? And this was the foundation, actually, of the spiritual culture of this nation came from these awakenings. And it is very well-documented if you want to read uh, of John Wesley, of Charles Finney, of George Whitfield, uh, manifestations of the Spirit of God followed their ministries. And uh, it's, it's controversial. It was controversial then. It's controversial now. It was controversial at Pentecost. It's never stopped being controversial is the point that I'm trying to make. And I want to talk tonight about why the, the move of God's Spirit, why when the Holy Spirit moves, there will always be controversy. I would actually question if the Holy Spirit is authentically moving if there's not controversy surrounding it. Right? And I want to talk about two primary reasons. And the first one is that there is such thing, there, there's actually three types of manifestations that can take place, uh, not just in the church, anywhere. Um, but there are uh, true, authentic, spiritual encounters that take place when a human being is experiencing the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit of God and begins to manifest in such a way. There's an outward showing of an inward working. Okay, that's what's taking place. Right? So there are authentic encounters, uh, manifestations. There are also fleshly manifestations. And fleshly manifestations are, uh, you know, the, this is where we get, you know, emotionalism, which is, you know, a word that's thrown around a lot, um, which is essentially we're using hype or emotion to conjure up some type of a spiritual experience because, um, you know, we want what the other person had type thing. Um, and then there's also demonic uh, manifestations. And I really don't want to spend a lot of time with that there, but they're all throughout scriptures. Uh, if you go to the global south, they're much more prevalent. They are also very prevalent here in America. I've dealt with them 
many, many times things that freaked me out. Actually, the most freaky experience I ever had was here in America. So anyways, uh, I'll talk about that another night. Uh, but the reason, one of the, the, the first reason I want to talk about is because uh, there, there's controversy surrounding the manifestation of the Spirit of God is that oftentimes, there, and I would almost say always, in revival history, in church culture, when the Spirit starts moving, there are, there's a mixture of authentic manifestations with fleshly manifestations, right? And we, we don't like messes as people. Just, just typically speaking, we want things clean, cookie cutter, kind of like, yeah, I know what to expect, all right? And, and the mess of recognizing that God is moving authentically and at the same time there is brokenness, there is fleshliness at play doesn't sit well with us. We don't like that. But there is a mixture taking place. Uh, John Wesley uh, was quoted as saying this in, 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 in the context of, um, of the flesh within revival. He says, Lord, send us revival without defects, but if that is impossible, send us revival defects and all, right? Because he recognized there are things taking place that are not of the Spirit of God, but there's also things taking place that are the Spirit of God, and you often can't tell the difference between the two till later because they can look the exact same. People with high discernment will pick up on this. This is God. This is not. But a lot of times you don't really know. Right? And my personal belief is that any experience, if you are overcome to a point that you are manifesting in the Spirit of God, it should result in tangible fruitfulness in our life and ministry that God's called us to outside this church door. Right? But you don't often know that till later. Right? And so what I want, if this is a perfect world, if this is a nice test tube environment, we want pure, authentic manifestations of the God Spirit. We want the Holy Spirit to work in any way He ever desires. But the reality is that, I mean, I, I may be in the wrong room, but I don't know if there's anyone in here that you could stand up fully confident and say, I look exactly like Jesus. There is no blemish in me. I am pure as he is pure, holy as he is holy, sanctified through and through. Right? We are on a journey of becoming like Jesus, which means there is still brokenness within all of us. It is by grace, not by perfection, that God uses people. And me most of all. Right? So, it's kind of interesting that we think when the Spirit of God begins working, and it becomes overflowing to the point that there is a manifestation in my life, why would we expect that, that the, the mess within us wouldn't come out? Right? From a pastor, I can tell you this. I actually get kind of happy when I see things that I'm like, oh, that's probably not good. Because you can only clean up a mess that you can see. And we keep things in, can't deal with it. Just stays there and it festers. Right? You say, where is this in the Bible? Uh, Corinthian church is a church that is experiencing an authentic move of God's spirit. The apostle Paul ushered it in. There are manifestations of God. He lists them in 1 Corinthians 12. God is moving. God is stirring. God is healing. God is prophesying. God is doing amazing things. And yet, he writes the book of 1 Corinthians as a correction to the spiritual culture taking place because the flesh is wreaking havoc in the church. He, and Paul never once says, shut down what's happening, quench it in, take it close, stop all the stuff that's going on. 
No, in fact, he honors it, he defines it, he encourages them, continue to pursue spiritual gifts, but he packages that in 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter on love, that is actually written to a church experiencing revival because he's trying to pastor them out of the flesh and into the purity, into the holiness of God. Right? We're always saying power and purity, power and purity. Right? They work together. You're not just perfectly pure and then the power comes because the power plays a role. It exposes things. It brings manifest things. It's the spirit of conviction comes and starts revealing things so that we can actually work with the mess and journey as a community into holiness. Right? A mature community does not judge the fleshliness and say, what is wrong with you? That shows we don't understand grace. God doesn't move on people because they're perfect. He moves on them because he's a physician trying to bring healing. And so what does a mature, what does an agape community do? We've talked about this. Culture of honor. God's moving on you in a way that makes me uncomfortable. But I'm going to choose to honor you, not judge you. Right? What does an agape community do? We speak the truth in love. Brave communication. Have honest dialogue about what we're experiencing as a community. Right? There is no place for judgment in the church of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit came to convict the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world's been judged. He actually is coming to transition judgment to where it belongs so that we can love and embrace one another. And in that love and embrace, journey and transition from this fleshly broken place that is not our whole identity and into the holiness of God. Right? So why is there controversy surrounding uh, the, the manifestation of the Spirit of God? It's because we're broken. It's messy. It's really messy, but we have to embrace uh, this, this mindset like Paul. Say, no, 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 this is good. we got to learn to extract the precious from the, worst, from the worthless. It says in Jeremiah, it's just coming to me right now, so I don't have the reference, but it says, if you will extract the precious from the worthless, then you will be my spokesman. Right? This is a gift that we have to learn. Okay, i got to sit in. It's not black or white. It's okay. Whoa. There's a mess that the Spirit just brought out. (laughs) What do we do now? It's not shoot arrows and judge one another. It's honor, communicate, and journey as a community into wholeness. That's the shallow end of the pool. The deep end for why is it so controversial is in us. The Spirit of God manifests It confronts sin in us. And I'm not necessarily talking about behavioral sin. It confronts the deeper, the paradigms, the subconscious, the the belief systems that are not yet fully purified. And it forces us to face our religion, which is extremely uncomfortable. But when the Spirit of God uh, manifests, He's not coming Uh, as anyone but God. He's coming to show you this is what I'm like, right? And Tozer says that the most important uh, of what, what a person thinks about God is the most important thing about that person. 
Right? So he's, he's trying to make this point that what you believe, we, we all have formed God into an image. We all have a very deep-rooted belief in who God is. Right? And, uh, you know, if you're an atheist, they may say, well, I don't even believe in God. I say that's absolutely untrue. The question with human beings is not if you will worship, it's who or what you will worship. We will make something a God in our lives. And atheism is simply saying there is no morality. There is no, you know, external, uh, un, you know, moral code or compass. It is simply I will do what I think is best. I will make my own decisions. I will choose what is right or wrong, and I'll live my life in subjective morality which means I have created God to look a whole lot like me. What a person thinks about God is the most important thing about a person. Right, so we, uh, this may be hard to wrap your head around, but yes, we repented, we accepted Jesus into our lives, we became Christians, and our view and understanding of God in that encounter was changed. Right, we began to see you're kind, you're gracious, you're good, you didn't slap me, you didn't judge me or punish me, you embraced me. Right, but that was the ABCs, and we have a journey, a progressive journey into the knowledge of the holy, and he is not like us. He is altogether holy. He is God. He is pure. He is perfect. He is unapproachable without the blood of Jesus. Right? And we're, we're going to be getting to know more of who this God is for all eternity. And we are on a journey of repentance. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Metanoia by, by, the, by the renewing of your mind. It's changing. We actually get changed as we're continually repenting and becoming more and more and more intimate. Yada with what he's actually like. So why is it controversial when the Spirit of God begins to manifest? Because he's coming and saying, this is what I'm like. And we might not know this, but we are very much being confronted in that moment. We are, a line of demarcation is being drawn, which is this. We have two choices. I can either bend my knee and recognize that what is happening is different than my understanding of what God is and who God is. And I can either bend and submit and recognize, I thought you were like this and now I recognize you're not. And I honor the Holy Spirit as God and I get changed, or I'm going to actually with recoil, judge what's taking place to protect a paradigm that actually is about me. Because the religious systems that we create as human beings have one person at the center of them, and it's ourselves. If I do this, 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 then I am justified in the sight of God and can be used. That's elementary, but those are the thoughts that get woven into the subconscious, the unconscious actings. That's, we, we do so many things from this place because that offers us control. Yes, it's a paradigm of condemnation, but it gives me control. I don't have to trust anybody but me. I just gotta make the right choices then. Right? Where's this in the Bible? 
the whole Gospels, Jesus is out here as a carpenter's kid, uneducated, with the Spirit of God manifesting upon him. The blind see, the dead are raised. He's doing these miracles, and the Pharisees are offended by this because it is competing with an ecosystem that has, they have mastered the domain, and they are the, they are the ones in control of what's taking place. And he's healing on the Sabbath, and he's doing these things that aren't right because it's actually challenging and confronting the religiosity within their own hearts and so instead of humbling themselves and recognizing God you're working in a way that I don't understand but now I yield to you that you're different than what I thought you were no 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 I'm going to persecute that and maintain my own ecosystem that I've made so that I can keep control power integrity reputation whatever it is and you only got two choices when the spirit of God manifests you have to choose I either defer and honor you as God in a way that is not comfortable to me, or I will persecute. And they persecuted Jesus. They put him on a cross. It was the religion that put him on a cross. I want to make this real practical. Uh, I, was, I was young, and the Holy Spirit who began manifesting on me in ways and prophetic utterances begin to come. Uh, this was not something that I was comfortable with, familiar with, ever taught in. It just began happening. I tell people I never sought these things. They sought me. And it was honestly very uncomfortable to reconcile what is taking place in my life. I didn't have language for it. I had to go to different places. I had to, go, I had to humble myself and just, just to try to find language for what was taking place to me. And uh, anyways, I'm young. I'm praying over my, uh, my cousin, 16-year-old, heroin addict, just giving his life to Jesus in tears, this powerful moment. I'm, I'm, I'm praying over him. I feel the Spirit of God manifest, begins to give me prophetic utterance. It says, and in the midst of the prophetic utterance, it was, tell him the anointing on his life is greater than it's on you. And I recoiled, shut my mouth, and literally distanced, physically walked away from the situation. Because in that moment, as the spirit of conviction manifested the words of God, I was offended. So I'd done all the things. I prayed all the prayers. Ah, da, 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 and it exposed the orphan mindset. It exposed the fear. It exposed that I didn't trust the Father for my own destiny. It exposed so much brokenness because it was the manifest presence of God. And I recoiled from that line of demarcation and went and tried to comfort myself with the same old justifications I'd been using to make me feel good about me. Thankfully, in his kindness, he came to me a couple months later and said, Jordan, you need to repent. And I did. I repented to my cousin. I repented before the Lord, and I made my mess right. But that is a small example of why we recoil, why there is controversy surrounding the move and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Because if we are not willing to humble ourselves and say, I had it wrong, you are God. I am man. We will be left with no other choice but to talk it down and to talk it away. That has been true in the Bible. It was true with Jesus. It was true at Pentecost. And it has been true all throughout church history. If you're any student of how the moves of God have entered and you know. Uh, uh, there's a man named John Wesley that I'm sure many of you know. 
Uh, he, uh, he was a man marked by revival. Uh, he uh, is, I, I've read this, heard this from a historical context. The manifest presence of God upon this man so transformed the United Kingdom. It says he literally transformed the the moral climate so powerfully that that is what led to William Wilberforce being able to rise up and take hold of that conscience and orient it towards the abolishment of the slave trade. So in other words, the manifest presence of God upon John Wesley was so powerful, it led to the liberation of countless millions of individuals because of the manifest presence, because the spirit of conviction so flowed through a man that it transformed a nation that then transformed the world. The slave trade was the most wildly economically, economic prosperous entity they had. It was the fuel, it was the economic force of a dynasty that was surrounding the whole world. And it fell because one man dared let God manifest through him. Right, we, 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 we honor Wesley now. He's the father of the holiness movement. We fail to recognize he was not liked in his day. He, he, he was forced to leave the Anglican church. He started Methodism. It was a slang word he, that people used to slander him and make fun of their methods because they just did their things and they were so zealous for the Lord. George Whitfield was a 21-year-old man when he began leading uh, the revival. He became known as the great evangelist of the first great awakening. He was 21. Wesley was a little older than him. And Whitfield began hearing people slandering how God was manifesting through John, through, uh, John Wesley's meetings. People were shaking. People were falling. People were having these experiences. Whitfield heard about this, and there's an account that I'm going to read for you where Whitfield actually went to confront John Wesley to ask him, what is going on in your meetings? This is the words of John Wesley. On Saturday, George Whitfield and I discussed outward signs which had so often accompanied the inward work of God. I found his objections were chiefly grounded on the gross misrepresentations he heard concerning these facts. The next day, he had an opportunity of informing himself better. For no sooner had he begun to invite sinners to believe in Christ than four persons collapsed exceedingly. The third had one of them lay without either sense or motion. A second trembled exceedingly. The third had strong convulsions over his entire body, but made no noise other than groans. The fourth convulsed equally and called upon God with strong cries and tears. From this time, I trust we shall all allow God to carry on his work in the way that pleases him. That's John Wesley. the spirit of conviction in the room tonight. There was a season of my life in ministry. I was ministering, um, had a lot of favor on me. My preaching gift was being honored greatly, but they didn't like. Uh, It made people uncomfortable that the Holy Spirit was manifesting. And I was basically told, you have great future, you have great promise, there's great promotion. Salary, title, all these things, if you'll simply just put these things to the side and continue preaching. 
And uh, I was in a dilemma, and I was torn. I didn't know what to do, wrestling in this tension. And uh, I was in master's class at the time, and it was in a class on spiritual disciplines. My professor said, draw a picture that represents your professional life right now. And I was like, oh, that'll be a picture, all right. <laughs> and uh, what I drew, what came to me as I was in a place of praying and meditating is I drew a picture of a river. It was flowing down, raging river, and it was going right off the edge of like a cliff, and I didn't know where that went. And uh, in the picture, I was drawing myself jumping into the river, and I knew it would only take me one place, a place that I had no control, and I didn't know what that looked like. And then there were people all on the banks, and it was all the criticisms that I'd been hearing. You're ungrounded. You're, there, you're, there's something bad in you. False teacher. Uh, you, you know, you idiot, you bad steward, all, all these things. Why, why would you risk everything, essentially, and, and the slander and the words I've been told and poor theology and all the things that were very hurtful to me because I've never had some type of uh, goal to be a charismatic. I never, never went out and had an intention. I'm going to become charismatic. I was raised conservative. I didn't even know there was such thing as a charismatic. And uh, it found me. And uh, ultimately, I knew uh, I had to get in that river, and then what I, what I drew was this big caption, and all I could write was, I must have more of you. And what I was telling him is, I don't care if I get labeled a crazy charismatic. I don't care if I become that person. I don't care if I become a, a weird, I don't care if I lose my reputation. I can't. I can't, what, what is my reputation if I don't have you? Amen. And I, I jumped in that river, and that jump is what eventually is, is what created this, what led me here. And I think that tonight, I, I believe tonight, uh, that many of you, uh, the Lord is inviting you to take that same jump into that river. And I, and I sense that his presence is stirring, that the spirit of God, the precious Holy Spirit of God, he's here and he's desiring us to enter into a place of abandoning and trusting our, our lives, our reputation with him. Uh, but we've judged him. You've judged him and judged the ways he moves. You, you don't like tongues or some of you have judged laughter. Some of you have judged, don't, just don't ever shake on me. And, and don't do this, and, and don't do that, and I, I've, I'm guilty, I've made comments, you know, like, Lord, you can move anyway, just never make me shake like that person did. I've said them jokingly, but the truth is, what I'm saying is, I kind of want to keep that for me. I want you to still be in my image in that way, in that regard. I want this. I love this. I love when you bring me peace. I love when you bring me joy. I love when you heal me. But I'm kind of afraid when you do this. I still want to, I, I want this part of you, but not that part of you. And any of you sitting here, if a human being said that to you, you wouldn't be in relationship with them. You say, no, you get me. You either get me or you don't get me. And the Holy Spirit's not, that's not always black and white. But I believe that there's a, a time of repentance 
And the Lord's actually wanting to draw many of us into repentance and repenting for how we've judged him, for how we've dishonored him, for how we've dishonored the way he moves on other people and, and made comments and made criticism. And actually, I feel like it, it's honestly, it's, it's withholding us. It's severing us from the blessings of what the Holy Spirit wants to give. I was telling somebody this recently. So when I was, uh, you know, just beginning in ministry, I think my greatest fear was that the Holy Spirit would never show up. And I said, now that I've continued, I said the fear that wants to continue creeping in is what if he does in a way that makes me uncomfortable. And I can confess to all of you that's happened in the last two years of building this house a lot. There's been times I've had to learn, okay, I give you control, I yield, I honor you, I honor you, and I've learned that he's the most trustworthy person in the whole world. There's no other person I would ever want to entrust my reputation to more than the Holy Spirit. Jesus literally trusted his reputation with the Holy Spirit and said, you get to go show the world what I'm like. And now we, as the church, get the same invitation that I want to so entrust my reputation that people can't even know me without associating me to you, Holy Spirit. Moses prayed this, Exodus 33, if you don't go with us, what will make us the people of God? We are to be a people known and wholly identified and marked by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he is holy. He's not like us. <laughs> it's very normal to feel uncomfortable around him because he's quite comfortable in his own skin. We start recognizing there's things that have to change. So I want to invite you uh, to repent tonight and make things right with the spirit of holiness, the emanating spirit of Jesus. And so if that's something that you need to do, I invite you to come forward right now. Not going to sing a song, not going to do hype. I just want you to invite you to come forward. And I believe that the spirit's going to fall upon many of you in a fresh way tonight. is a personal moment between you and the Spirit of God. I just want you to acknowledge, just acknowledge and bring your judgment before him. He's so merciful. Just have mercy upon us, Holy Spirit, for how we've judged the laughter that you bring. how we've judged that which we don't understand about you, for how we've allowed fear 
to influence our understanding of you. We repent. Forgive us, Holy Spirit. Just tell them you're sorry. Sorry for the words you've said. Sorry for the comments you've made. Sorry for how you've made fun of people that he was manifesting on. We're sorry. Sorry for how we've dishonored your gifts. We said no to the gifts that you want to give. We're sorry. Forgive us, Holy Spirit. Forgive us. We honor you. We honor you. And we tell you tonight that we never want to control you again. We never want to restrict you again. We never want to despise you again. We never, ever want to quench you again. We honor you, Holy Spirit. I want you to just receive the forgiveness in the room tonight. And then I want you to open your heart, and I just want you to ask him to come. And I want you to ask him to, to, to just tell him, you can do whatever you want on me. You can use me any way. You can come whatever way you want. Even if it's not, even if it's not publicly this powerful demonstration. Even if it's in the quiet place of my heart. I don't want to put any form on you. We honor you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We say, come, Holy Spirit. Just invite you right now, Holy Spirit, to come and take residence in your people, to come and move upon your people, just give you permission to move any way you want. You can move in tears, you can move in laughter, you can move in shouts, you can move in dancing, you can move in, in anything you want, you can do anything you want, you're God. You are God. And I just speak over all of you. You have permission to encounter the Holy Spirit in this house. You have permission to let the Holy Spirit have his way in you. You have permission to let Jesus or to let the Holy Spirit glorify Jesus and take your breath away and overwhelm you. I just want us to, to sing this song right now, but I want you to sing it to the Holy Spirit. We exalt Thee. We exalt Thee. We exalt Thee. 
exalt Thee, O singing that. Just take your place in your church, Holy Spirit. Just have your way, Holy Spirit. Activate your giftings in this bride, Holy Spirit. Just speak to that which has been dormant, and I say, awaken. God, fan us into flame tonight, Holy Spirit. Let's manifest and glorify Jesus in this place tonight, Holy Spirit. We exalt you in this house. We exalt you in this house. We take our reputations and we lay them at your feet. We take our reputations and we, we place them in your hands, Holy Spirit. Make us be known as a people, a people of your presence. We exalt thee, O Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just come, Holy Spirit. We love everything about you, Holy Spirit. We honor every gift. We honor every whisper. We honor, we honor you in all your quirkiness. We love you in, in the things cut in your embrace you. We place you back. We give you permission to be the leader and the counselor and the advocate and our 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 our, our teacher. We just we just give you back your rightful place. In your church tonight, Holy Spirit. Just come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your presence. 